Reclaiming Identity, sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Drora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Do you feel a part of the Jewish story? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore the greater Jewish experience. We encourage you to tell your story and take pride in your heritage as it is a part of your identity. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. We're going to start off by first learning a little bit about each of you. So if you could each tell us about where you're from, where you grew up, and where you are now. My name is Gail Joseph. I grew up in India. Uh, I lived in India, in Mumbai. Uh, lived in Mumbai. I did my bachelor's and master's in Mumbai. Uh, then got an opportunity. I came to North Carolina in the United States. Uh, so I've been living here for the past seven years. And yeah, now I set up life here. And now this is where I call home. Oh, I also work uh, at a startup uh, cancer research uh, company. I work as a production manager here in North Carolina. And I have a one-year-old. Hi, everyone. I'm Sasha Joseph. I also was born uh, in Mumbai, India. I lived there until I was 14. And then my mom and I moved to the U.S., specifically Oklahoma, where I lived for uh, 10 years, I believe, of my life. And I went to high school there. I actually moved the day before my freshman year of high school started. And I ended up staying there until college. I went to school at the University of Oklahoma, where I got my bachelor's and my master's. And then I decided, listen, it's time to, you know, move to another country again. So I decided to move to San Francisco, California for <laughs> work. And um, I've been in the Bay Area ever since. So I've lived in the Bay Area for seven years um, where I've been a Jewish communal professional uh, for the past seven years. Uh, yeah, and I now live in uh, Oakland, California with my husband and I work for uh, Dimensions Educational Consulting where we really are creating liberatory practice for Jewish women of color. So that's what I do now. Can you just tell us what your connection is to Gail and Esther? Yeah. <laughs> Should I say the actual connection? You can say the actual connection because yeah. I wrote that in the email. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They, they are my aunts, technically. Are, um, my grandpa and their mom are um, siblings, but we're much closer in age, so we should actually be cousins, let's be honest. So biologically, she's our niece, but then yes. when we talk to others, we say that's our cousin. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was one year old when her parents got married, so. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, so she is our baby. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, um, I'm Esther Joseph, uh, live in Mumbai, India, uh, have always lived here. Uh, did my schooling college in Mumbai. I used to work for a travel organization before, so travel half of the world with them. But now, uh, since my interest is in cooking, I am a home chef and uh, I want to start a kosher cafe soon in Mumbai. 
I want to introduce uh, Kusher to uh, the non-Jewish community also. So that's what I'm working on currently. That's keeping me occupied. So, and I'm Gail's older sister. So we grew up together. Sasha's been a little girl. We all used <laughs> to like live together, party together, pray together. <laughs> so we that's have how lived we together. Are connected. Yes, yeah. we have. <laughs> Ooh, there have been a time in our life where we all lived in one house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! And so now you're across the world. That must be very. Strange then. Yeah, we yes. we we met. I think it was Sasha's wedding in 2019. I think that was yeah. the time when we all met in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and that must have been very interesting. Is there an Indian community in Oklahoma at all? Uh, no. Sasha. Yeah, there isn't. Um, I mean, they're barely Jews of color in Oklahoma, let alone a specific kind of community. But my aunt, my mom's sister, lived there, so that's where we ended up because of that connection otherwise we'd probably be somewhere in new york or something and in north carolina is there an indian jewish community somebody two two different people reached out to me because i gave a talk at the temple that i'm a part of i talked about jews in india and i got two different emails so one of them she said her her mother was indian jewish so we never got, got an opportunity to meet because of the pandemic and then just two days back, somebody reached out to me because she read on my profile that I'm Indian Jewish. So her husband is, has, I think his mom is, some was also from Mumbai, India. So I wouldn't say there's a community. I know two other people. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to explain a little bit about what community you're part of and the significance of that? So the two communities, I think, uh, are the Bene Israelis that we are a part of and the other community are the Baghdadi Jews. I personally just know one other Baghdadi Jew that still lives in Mumbai. Esther would know better. But yeah. I mean, the, the, the Magen David Synagogue was built by the Baghdadi Jewish community. A lot of times it was not even being used because it belonged to the Baghdadi Jewish community and not the Bene Israeli community. Does anybody else know a little more about the Baghdadi Jewish community? I we don't need to know about them. I'd rather hear about <laughs> the Bene Israel community because that's yours. I just want to acknowledge that there were two. Mm-hmm. Yes, there were two. Before I talk about Bene Israel community, I just wanted to mention about the Baghdadi community uh, that they have a, a Jewish, uh, they have a Baghdadi synagogue in a city called Pune that's in Maharashtra. So that's one of the oldest uh, synagogue in Pune and uh, that's only for the Baghdadi Jews but now like you know they've allowed at least the weddings to happen so you will find Ben Israelis getting married in the Baghdadi synagogue that's that's one uh, change that has come in past uh, I would say 10 years but earlier it was only strictly for Baghdadi Jews only and for Ben Israelis of course we have uh, quite a few synagogues in Mumbai and uh, one uh, is in Thani where I live in, the city Thani, which is very close to our house. So uh, since we have easy access to the synagogue, uh, we have always uh, been a part of it. Uh, let it be, uh, you know, growing up as a child and having some activities for the kids uh, in the synagogue or learning Hebrew. We've always been a part of that uh, community. Plus, uh, we also have, uh, we attend a lot of uh, 
the community services or the prayers you know the every shabbat prayers uh, galen i used to attend every shabbat prayer since uh, it was just like a 5 minute walk for us from our place so uh, we have quite a few uh, synagogues here i think if i'm not wrong six to seven synagogues that we have in mumbai one uh, being in thane and uh, a lot of people have migrated to israel but still i would say we still have at least uh, 3 4000 uh, jewish community the ben israel is in mumbai currently but uh, not only in mumbai but we are uh, spread across uh, maharashtra that is the state in um, india so we have few uh, in a small town called alibag uh, that's where we have uh, two more synagogues uh, both ben israeli synagogues so uh, so yes we are spread across maharashtra i would say not only mumbai but across maharashtra i i guess we may have mentioned this before we started recording but you had mentioned that your parents were married in the magan david synagogue which i believe is baghdadi but you said that the pune synagogue had restrictions or something like that with the ben israeli community was was there something like that in mumbai as well uh no the the mumbai uh, synagogue never had such restrictions but pune yes pune always had the restrictions they would only have the baghdadis coming to their synagogues but things just changed in past 10 years because i recently attended a wedding there so yes <laughs> we ben israelis can attend weddings there and a shabbat <laughs> prayers of course <laughs> yeah i believe my parents got married there too uh at the one in mumbai was it the magan david or magan hasidim oh, oh. lol it is magan hasidim <laughs> yeah you're right oh my god <laughs> where the, that's where Ophira i wasn't got there married. unfortunately yeah i i was one year old yeah <laughs> wow. yeah in the history of um bene israelis interestingly has been an oral tradition so we believe right that we were either one shipwrecked on uh, in western india uh while on a trading voyage or uh, some people believe that we might be one of the lost tribes so it hasn't been officially recognized so a lot of us i think end up saying we were shipwrecked instead so that's a little bit of like how we ended up in india all those years ago right and i just want to put out there this is an ancient community The Bene yes. Israel is not oh, the Baghdadis yeah. that came in the 1800s. This is thousands of year old community. So I mm. want to put that on the record here as well. Dalia, back to you. <laughs> Which also means that you have a lot of customs that are pretty ancient and um, as far as I know, very unique to your community. Would you mind sharing with us some of the customs? And also, if you could tell us along the way, when you discovered that maybe you were the only ones who were doing them and not other communities? Hmm. I think the biggest one is taking your shoes off um before you get into temple, shul, synagogue, any of those uh which some other Jewish like communities do but to me it feels very much part of what, like an assimilated community where we lived in India where right a lot of maybe Hindus took off their shoes so i'm assuming that might be an assimilated practice but it does i think correlate to when moses took off his shoes before entering uh to meet with god uh for the first time so i think there's always a way to make everything jewish but in my heart i truly believe that's an assimilated practice uh we also have malida which i think esther or gail might be better at explaining but that i think 
is probably the most special one that really sets us apart. Yeah, I think I think Esther can shed more light on Malida. It's like a very typical <laughs> Indian Jewish custom. Over to you, yeah. Esther. <laughs> All right. So Malida is basically, uh, if you have to do anything good or you have to start, there is a new beginning, let it be marriage or a new home or a baby uh, or a new venture, anything new you want to start. New uh, house. So you, uh, New house, yeah. <laughs> so you have to have a malida. Malida is basically a prayer uh, to bring in happiness in the house. And uh, this malida is actually made of dry fruits and flattened rice. Okay, uh, that we call poha. I don't know if you have heard about it, but you can call it flattened rice. So it's sweet and uh, that's served uh, at the end of the uh, prayer. And uh, of course, we have fruits uh, along with Malida. But any happy occasion, we have to have that Malida done. And uh, so first, we everybody gets together. They uh, light a lamp and then we have the Malida services. There are a few songs that we sing. So we sing the song, we serve Malida to each other. And then uh, after that, dinner or the lunch is served. So very, very traditional. Uh, I am not sure where this came from, but <laughs> I always grew up uh, doing this. Yeah. I still do it at home. Even when I have, a, like I'm starting my new venture, I've already done that. So uh, anything good that comes our way, we have to do a Malida, uh, especially uh, before the weddings. I remember even when Sasha got married, we did a Malida at a place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And a comedy of errors where no one could, Besides the chorus, no one could really remember the prayer uh, to bring in Elijah, uh, which is one of the prayers we say where you're calling Elijah to show up to your house. Uh, And all I remember, all all of us could remember was really the the chorus. And everyone was like really happy, excited to sing that part. And then when I was like filling in the rest of the prayer, like everyone was kind of just staring at each other being like, wow, yeah, (laughs) a nice night, isn't it? And then talking about prayers, so the Indian Jewish community uh, believed that Prophet Elijah was uh, the prophet who saved them during the shipwreck. So the song is basically to say thank you to Prophet Elijah. So I I don't know Hebrew. I think I don't know if Sasha knows any Hebrew, but then (laughs) most of us don't know Hebrew. Like the men know how to read it, but they don't understand it. So... Yeah, but we at least know the gist that he has. It's it's to say thank you to Prophet Elijah for looking over the Jewish community in India. So we we also have a, a place somewhere on the outskirts of Mumbai. So they say that there is like tracks, a, like chariot yeah, tracks. Cha- cha- thank you, chariot mm-hmm. tracks on stone, and then they say that that is from Prophet Elijah's chariot when he went to heaven. I just want to ask about the prayers. You said you you don't know Hebrew. Do the men and women say all the prayers? Have they always said all the prayers in Hebrew? Yeah, I mean, most of our prayer books are all transliteration. So we are basically reading it in the Devanagari script or the Hindi or uh, Marathi script. So we are reading kind of Marathi, but the words come out as Hebrew. So even, even till date, I, I have my Hebrew, like... Now for Hanukkah, till date, I still read the transliteration because that's all I know. Yeah. And I think I have some just to memory because I've 
like in when I was part when I was in high school, I was part of BBYO and then I did Hillel. So I think I just have a lot of stuff committed to memory at this point. So you even, didn't go even to school. Sydney. No, uh, I mean, it It was an option, I believe, especially if you wanted to have a bar bat mitzvah, like there was a ceremony around it. But I personally chose not to do that. <laughs> yeah. And for my bat mitzvah, they made me because I was officially a woman. So they made me stand on the footstep of the synagogue because the men and the women sit separate because we still follow the orthodox custom. So I was not even in the synagogue. I was I was made to stand at the door and somebody else read the parasha because I was I was a woman and I'm we are not holy, so you couldn't enter the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Which I have a very strong opinion about. <laughs> I am not going to say it. So are there any of these um, customs that I guess this is more question for Sasha and Gail, but like that you brought with you or that you sort of, I know you said you did the Melita before your wedding, but do you do it in like other instances or are there other things that you like pop up randomly that are like customs that you remember from Mumbai that you're trying to incorporate now? I think the biggest for me um, is around Shabbat, where instead of challah, we have uh, grape, uh, not grapes, sorry, dates and bananas as uh, the ha'adamaha'et. So that's something that I def- we definitely still do. And um, we make our or have at least a recipe to make our own grape juice as well. So those are moments for Shabbat that we end up doing ourselves. And um, even when we say Shabbat Shalom, right, we have a specific like we hold the hands and then we'll kiss them. (laughs) So that's something my non-Jewish partner, my husband um, also now does. So it's (laughs) those moments are very much part of my Shabbat ritual, even here at home, like growing up where it's just, you know, not me and my non-Jewish husband. And we try to follow all of those uh, still as like Indian Jewish. And then when I hosted uh, Indian Shabbat at um, Hillel, like those were moments that now all the San Francisco students were doing as well. And they were like, well, we want to do this way more often. We don't or do we cover our eyes? No, we don't cover our eyes when we say the um when we light the candles, yeah. uh, instead we instead we put our hands to the um, to the flame, or or vice versa. Whatever the Ashkenazi tradition is, we do the opposite um, of that as well. So those are like little Shabbat moments. I will say that I notice are stark differences. How do you say the Shema? Like, how do you say the Indian? Yeah, do you do it the Indian way or do you do it the Ashkenazi way? Yeah, I do it the Indian way because we I Me still too. say the Shema every night before going to bed. So uh, but I think that's also something that's passed down, at yeah. least for Indians, like you say it every night. Traditions maybe tells you to say it in the morning as you arise. But yeah, we say it every night. And it's like the first two paragraphs, quote unquote, like not the long version. The short version. Yeah, yeah the, the abridged version. version. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, your, when you say the Shema Israel, you kind of like cover your eyes. But in India, they ask you to make a sheen. So your thumb and your in, your little finger touches each other and you make a sheen and then you kind of cover your face. So that's something that yeah. I, I'm going to teach my daughter as well to do the Shema Israel the Indian way. In fact, my husband did not like the raisins juice that we have for Kiddush. 
but I think oh. now it's growing on him. So I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I used to, I was glad because then I would drink more than him. Exactly. Then, yeah. Now he, now he started liking it more. So I have to share. So. And I have to share with your daughter. <laughs> oh, we yeah. still haven't given her that yet. Oh, good. Sweet, so, <laughs> so I you have I some more. <laughs> yeah. I still have a year to have it to all myself. And then I think Sasha and I still keep kosher here. Mm-hmm. We, I think that's, that's something was very different. I mean, growing up, it, it was just a way of life to keep kosher because we had the meat shop or the butcher shop. Every synagogue has one right next to it. So even till now when Esther has her own uh, catering business, she literally calls up and tells uh, the butcher that, oh, I want so-and-so of minced meat or just chicken tandoori so or drumsticks and it's not three times as expensive as it is here yeah it's it's, it's cheap it's cheap it's readily available and uh, yeah so we never had that craving of going out and eating non-kosher food and then like my my non-Jewish friends would eat meat but then I would not and it was it was okay it was just the way of life and I think even they understand that, okay, Gail is not going to eat chicken or she's not going to eat meat. So, you know, either it's... But she's not a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it, it just became a way of life. And now, now it hurts to pay three times the price, but... I know that's the weirdest part about living in America where, yes. you, where you believe that, you know, oh, Judaism is so, so much bigger. There's, it's so much more accessible. Uh, but I personally... I found it much harder to be Jewish in America than it was in India. Uh, my my grandpa was the kosher uh, meat guy. So like my house always had like meat ready to go. And Good. again, the synagogue was five minutes, not even walking uh, yeah. distance. So if we ever needed to replenish, like it's so easy uh, versus and. I think in India, vegetarianism is also so readily available. Um, like me growing up in Oklahoma, learning that, you know, mashed potatoes might have like bacon fat in them uh, was wild because you're like, wait, what's a vegetarian dish? What do you mean? Uh, so it's just it's really interesting how I feel like personally, at least Judaism felt way more accessible, um, even with obviously like the women sitting a certain way and, you know, all of those things. But it was still easier to be Jewish in India and probably one of the only places in the world where anti-Semitism wasn't really like as rampant, I'll say. Well, since we're talking about food and you're, you're talking about a kosher um, culinary business. Yes. Can you can you tell us like what kind of um, what kind of things are kosher what kind of things are associated with Jews in India so um, we still have people who keep kosher and who strictly follow uh, the kosher diet so I want I wanted to give them all the pleasure like I know some Jews who've never stepped into a McDonald's or KFC since they keep kosher and here uh, of course they won't find kosher meat in McDonald's or KFC or uh, Pizza Express so uh, I want to introduce them to uh, kosher part of this. So I want to make kosher burgers for them. I want to make, uh, you know, of course, Indian uh, will definitely follow. Currently, I'm making uh, just a little of uh, the chicken biryani uh, and uh, the chicken tandoori, uh, as well as uh, I, Sasha is smiling. <laughs> and oh, my God. I'm so stressed. I was like, how dare you say these things? And I don't have them. 
<laughs> yes yeah, so uh, so it's it's basically just i want to make it easily available to them because uh, for now what they're doing is of course they uh, they cook it themselves and make but they do not have uh, all the different varieties so i just want to serve them uh, different varieties that they can think of in kosher so that's what i'm working on and since it's easily available i love cooking so i'm just trying to uh, you know get there so for for now like i said i'm just making few curries and biryanis and tandoori and some little uh, you know you have the triangle samosas the yeah, meat samosas samosa. that way yeah the meat samosas uh, everybody here has eaten vegetarian samosas but now i'm giving them uh, samosas that is uh, filled with meat so everybody's loving it and enjoying it so i just want to make it uh, you know make people happy with uh, the kosher food and i also want to introduce it to the non jewish uh, community here the non jewish people because i know uh, let it be israel or us or any other country people do like kosher for all the uh, all the health benefits uh, that we have uh, with kosher food so i want to introduce kosher to the non jewish people also so that we can have uh, more people and people here don't really know what kosher is so i have to actually go ahead and explain them uh, what what it means so uh, everybody knows halal so i just take that as an example to make them understand okay for halal is for the muslim community kosher is for the jewish community that's like the basic simple statement that i use for them Uh, so not many people also know that we have Jews in India. So I need to first introduce that I'm Jewish. Then I need to introduce that I uh, I cook kosher. I keep kosher. So yes, I'm uh, I'm having fun doing this. Uh, uh, people are enjoying the food. Uh, they're liking uh, the ready-to-eat kosher food that they're getting uh, at their doorstep. So let's see how it goes. It's gonna go great. I know and yeah. Sasha and I can attest that Esther is such a fantastic cook. <laughs> yeah, 100%. We wish you would just move here and cook for all of us. <laughs> did you maybe hear stories from your parents or your grandparents about what life was like um in Mumbai before? For Jewish life, of course. It feels preserved. I don't know, yeah. even when I go back now, it the people have changed, but it still feels very like preserved in what I even remember right like 10 20 years ago um the places have gotten nicer uh they've been renovated but if it still feels yeah the same place i don't know about you all yeah i mean even i think i mean i don't see anything was different like sasha said it just it just few things here and there but i don't remember my mom saying oh things were like this back in our time it's it just the customs have just been passed down from generation to generation and it's it's just the same thing okay i would yeah. like to add something here <laughs> yes. uh, so our great grandfather uh, would would uh, believe that he would he shouldn't get any other god in front of our god so uh, we used to live in a city called panvel that's also in maharashtra very close to mumbai so my grandfather used to walk from uh, our home to the synagogue but we uh, living in a hindu environment you know we would see a lot of hindu idols along the way uh, especially the ganesh chaturthi if you know the ganesh festival you know uh, during the festivals you have the idols put up in every street uh, wherein people come to worship so my great grandfather would uh, walk from home to synagogue and if he happened to see any 
Hindu idol. He would walk back home, take a shower, and then go back. He would say, "No, I cannot have any wow. other god in front of me." So he used to do that several times. He used to either uh, take a bicycle to synagogue or he used to walk. But yes, I clearly remember. I've never, I never met him. I never saw him. But this is what story that I've heard from my grandmother that he would always walk back, take a shower, purify himself, and I can go back to the synagogue for his prayers. So this is what I wanted to add. He had a lot of time. <laughs> Wow. He really had a lot of time. In yeah, like, I guess did he so. start four like, hours you... before Shabbat? Like what? I was like, what yeah. did he do for work? <laughs> this is this this I'm talking about early 19th century. You know, like wow. Mm. So yes, that's what he used to follow. Sounds amazing to me. I'm not sure how he actually got there in the end because our idols <laughs> everywhere. But that's okay. Really yeah, good, I like, feel like hours. this is. This is like some like rabbinic like story you can share. There was once a man, and then you could like write all this commentary about it <laughs> later <laughs> to be like, was it worth the time? So, where did you? You said you don't know to read Hebrew. Where did you go to school? Did you go with the Hindus to school and have the idols in your classes? I yeah, went to so- a private school uh, in India. So my school was um, an international board, is what they say. So I've feel like it was pretty close to what like an American high school would be like it's um like we only spoke English and then we learned three other languages in addition to English but that was the first language and um and it was secular but the only cool part was that we started with yoga every morning which every school should do uh to you know center us and ground us to me that feels like the only difference personally for the school I went to yeah, Esther and I went to public schools and uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't have uh, a Hebrew school that taught us Hebrew. I, I know uh, the generation before us, there was a Hebrew school because, I mean, Sasha's uh, aunt, like her dad's uh, sister, I remember they had a, in, in 10th grade, they had Hebrew as a special language and yes. they actually could take an exam with that but then yeah I think that that went away with the number of Jews reducing and yeah plus we we all lived far away from that school so Esther and I went to different public schools but yeah it was it was just with every other person and I, I remember we had like two one or two Jews who were uh, in that school like staying with Sasha so mm-hmm. yeah we I mean I, yeah being, I had a Jewish being teacher in India, you have <laughs> Oh, oh, oh yeah, me too. But she's my aunt, so does that count? I don't know. <laughs> I also, I just remembered, yeah, I did go to that Jewish school for the first, like, for, I think, just kindergarten. We went there because, again, we lived across the street from it. So that's yeah. the only reason why. And then we ended up moving um, to Tana, where uh, Esther now lives. So it, it was not accessible. But you were surrounded by people who looked like you and sounded like you. And then you come, well, I guess Esther's still there. So it's got to be that somewhat comfort zone. You come to America and you're going into the school where I'm assuming in Oklahoma, there aren't too many that look like you. Sorry. You're beautiful. So maybe that's why there are so many beautiful people in Oklahoma, but also your coloring, I'm assuming there aren't too many. 
for sure I was a minority um and right there were a lot of other people of color just not a lot of Jews of color um of course I was the only I went to the biggest high school in Oklahoma and I was I believe the only Jew there um but there were other Indians at my school but again not Jewish so I was um, and I did sports. So I most of my friends were people of color. That was something that's just who I gravitated toward. And just again, I'm stereotyping, obviously, but I ran track. So I was able right to be around other people of color. And I was this in, like kid with an accent. Uh, so a lot of folks like just ended up knowing about me because like for that reason. So I was really grateful to never really face bullying in that way. But there was definitely um, moments of, well, you killed Jesus or, um, well, you know, you're going to hell because you're Jewish. Uh, so though it, I definitely had more of those moments. Um, and then, you know, the the song and dance, as I like to say, in even in Jewish communities where folks would be like, well, how are you Jewish? Like, what are you, you know, doing here? Like why? To me, it was harder being in Jewish spaces because I truly was the only um, versus I think being in non-Jewish spaces where folks were like, oh, this is just like a really interesting person that showed up to school versus I think in synagogues or, uh, you know, even at when I went to Hillel um, as a student, uh, folks, you know, were like, well, you're adopted and are you half Jewish? And it's like, well, which half? And things like that where, and, you know, and I actually never went back to Hillel um, for three years uh, because I was like, you know, I don't need this. Like I, uh, I'm Jewish by myself and you don't get to make me feel this way. So, um, you know, if anyone is out there listening, like, don't ask people why they're Jewish or how they got here. Like, just get over yourselves. But, you know, yeah, it's just, it's very much, that's what I felt like a lot more living in Oklahoma. There was a lot of like, um, performing for folks who were very curious about my background. Yeah. I, I, I get those questions as well. So yeah, I get those questions. Are you adopted? Are you studying Judaism? Like, yeah, is one of your parents Jewish? And then, yeah, when I tell them, no, I am born Jewish. So yeah, I can see like a big question mark on, on their face. And then, yeah, they say, okay. And then they walk, walk away. So you kind of know that, yeah, they're not convinced or they're suspicious. I mean, but, but I get that every time. And I, I remember I used to go back in Greensboro. So I used to go to Shabbat. I like going for Shabbat services. So I used to go every Friday, even here. And then this one older uh, gentleman, he every Shabbat used to ask me the same question. And I'm like, you met me last Shabbat. So yeah, it's, it's like, it, it, yeah, at, at times it is frustrating. It's like, there are people outside this country who were also Jewish. Yeah. So I, so every time anybody asks me to give a talk about Jews in India, I, I'm always like, yes, I'll do it because I feel like people need to be educated more that it's not just that if you look a certain way, you're Jewish, there are, you can look so many different ways. Like my husband is Dominican and he, he tells me that there is, especially after the world war, a lot of people migrated to South America. So, and the Caribbean. So there is, oh, or there was a community back in Dominican Republic, which was, they were all Jews. And then of course, then a lot of people moved to New York. So yeah, just that. Yeah. We look different, but we are still Jewish. 
The Dominican Republic actually has a very nice community right now. I know the mm. rabbi. Yes, yeah, seems, yeah. So we so Luis and I always say that whenever we go next, I, I would like to go visit the Jewish community. So of course I need a translator because I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> That's how you married one, right? That's right. <laughs> I can get away in most part of the world now. Exactly. Sasha, you said you said that you didn't go back to Hill for three years, but then you ended up working with Hill or mm-hmm. <laughs> How'd you find your way back there? Yeah, I, um, so when I joined BBYO um, in the ninth grade, uh, it was very easy. I will say where, interestingly enough, a bunch of teenagers never questioned, you know, why this girl with an accent just showed up uh, to, you know, all our events. But, um, you know, the broader Jewish community, not so much, but um, I felt very, into the community because of, you know, BBYO and things I was doing with them, uh, with my chapter specifically. And then, so in my mind, you know, that's what I'm thinking folks my age, at least get it. And then, yeah, I showed up to Hello and I brought most of the people there uh, just because of my BBYO connections. So um, because I was in a sorority in college and, you know, I was just, I was always doing stuff. So uh, it was just, I felt like the natural connector. So I ended up bringing people and then I was the one, you know, being asked um, why I just showed up uh, there. So that's why I never went back because I was like, no, I'm the reason most of these people are here, but okay. And I went back because um, their staff changed. And at that point I was the president of my sorority. So um, I, I must've been on their radar. So uh, some the the engagement associate at that time, who's still now a dear friend, reached out to me again and asked me to go on birthright, actually. So he said, you know, you don't have to come to Hillel. You don't have to do any Shabbat, you know, anything with us. But if you want to go on birthright, you know, it's fine. You can come with us. And I think at that point, my mom was like, it's, it's time you got to do Jewish stuff again. Um, so she she threatened me to stop paying my sorority dues if I didn't go uh, to Hillel. So that's how we ended up there. And then um, I ended up actually falling in love with it because they had a complete staffing change. Um, folks, you know, were more welcoming and understanding of who I was. So that's why I went back. And then when I was getting my master's, they offered me a part-time job doing social justice work with them. So I was doing a lot of like social justice and facilitation around that um, with my just university connections. So that was like my in to Hillel. And I said, I don't want to do anything Jewish, just social justice. And look at me now. But yeah, that's how I ended up back at Hillel. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do now, actually? Yeah, I um, currently work for Dimensions Educational Consulting, where I'm the project coordinator for Jewish Women of Color Resilience Circle. So the uh, what I personally do is um, I will be uh, launching Cohort 3, actually, next month. Um, and we will be um, inviting, you know, women of color, Jewish women of color uh, for a year year-long transformation um, through self-care, activism, and spirituality. And we'll be having four in-person retreats to do that, um, as well as uh, this cohort. Specifically, we will be centering Black women and um, anti-Blackness as well. So um, it's still open to everyone. Uh, just the content um, will be geared towards like how anti-Blackness shows up in our communities as well. Um, so yeah, so that's like what I'm currently working on is just liberation for women of color. I think 
we can start to wrap up because I also want to be um, considerate of each of your times. One thing that I've noticed is that you all like are very connected to your Indian heritage, no matter where you are in the world. And I'm wondering if there is at least for the let's say for Gail, for your daughter who's growing up now in the um, in the U.S., or even for you, Esther, who is like trying to expose the non-Jewish world in in mm -hmm. India. Uh, what, what, what is there something for future generations that you'd like to say about heritage, about um, connection to your heritage, to your roots? We have, we are very few left in India now. So a lot of people are migrating. You will see every week or every month, you, we have people migrating to Israel. So with me introducing Kosher, maybe I want to uh, just tell uh, the community like, okay, we are still here. Let's just, uh, you know, keep our... Uh, whatever we've learned for so many years, just keep ourselves holy and just uh, just stay the way we are. But it uh, looks difficult since a lot of people are moving uh, to Israel, but whatever community is left now, very few left in Mumbai and Maharashtra. But uh, I just want to tell them, we, we strictly follow the Shabbat. So that's like major here. Uh, I want everyone to keep the Shabbat holy. I mean, I, I don't know about the future generation, but then when I strictly look at my child, because my husband is non-Jewish, but then we both made a decision to raise our child Jewish. So I just want whatever I have learned from my parents, I, I want to learn, I want to teach my child that. And then I'm hoping that tomorrow she does the same thing when she has her own family. So I just, I just want to have, even though I know that there's not a chance that me or my kid will go back to India. I still want to have those Indian traditions that we, like, for example, Malida, or then what we do for Shabbat, the way we say the Shema Israel, all, all those customs. I, of course, there are a few customs that we don't, we don't follow anymore. Like when we have the festival of new fruits or Tisha B'Av, there are things that we do in India that we, we don't do any, any time anywhere here, like eating on the banana leaf a day before Tisha B'Av. So, but then at least those few traditions that I, that I find close to my heart, I, I want my future generation to continue that. I just want to ask about the banana leaf before Tisha B'Av. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, do you remember the banana leaf? Let's ask Sasha this question first. Oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, reminding myself I should ask you later because my husband is South Indian who does eat on banana leaves. So I was like, how do we incorporate this together? So <laughs> so what happens, yeah, because Sasha moved away when she was really young. So yes, a, a night before Tisha B'Av, since you're going to be fasting, so you, we kind of have a big feast. So in order to have that big feast, okay, this doesn't happen in before Yom Kippur, but for some reason it happens <laughs> before Tisha B'Av. So yeah. on the night before, we have like seven different vegetables. We, we have like a big banana leaf, that, which is like our plate. And then we have rice, we have fish. So we, we have like a lavish meal. So we eat enough so that you can fast for the Shabayav till the next day, sundown. So I think, I think Esther, I don't know, Esther, I think till day does that. Yes, I still, still do, do that. <laughs> yes, we still do that. I don't really know why we use banana leaf. I 
I will have to like ask someone older but we've just <laughs> followed that tradition like I saw my grandmother doing it then yeah. I saw our mother doing it and now I do it so we just followed the tradition of having seven uh, types seven types of vegetables uh some some fish and of course rice and some gravy on the banana leaf and just the night fish. before I don't yeah. know why the fish has to be fried in oil <laughs> So yeah, there are these some customs and traditions that are just like hand me down kind of a thing. You you don't question your parents why you do it because oh boy, questioning your uh, Indian mother, woof. <laughs> Indian <laughs> Jewish <laughs> mother, yeah. Yeah, so you, don't, you, don't, you don't do that. <laughs> so we there are a few things that you just do like like Esther said, she still does it, but there's yeah. no backing to it. And then see tomorrow if you're in India during the time when it's the Shabaya. I'm sure we will be sitting down and still eating on a banana leaf. Yeah. Any historians also out there, go to Shana. India and tell us why. <laughs> also in Rosh Hashanah, all the Indian Jews have this uh, tradition of making uh, a sweet, which is made out of wheat juice and coconut milk. So we call it the halwa. So you will find find this sweet in every Jewish or Bene Israeli house on Rosh Hashanah. So that's one tradition that we've carried uh, from uh, years, I would say. Uh, similarly, I saw my grandmother doing it and my mom doing it. Hey, now even I, I did it. it. Yeah, even me as I, well. Yeah, Yay. even this year. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's one thing. <laughs> this year, Gail, even Sasha did, did it. it too. Even, uh, yeah, Sasha did that too. So we have still carried forward that tradition. So, What's yeah. it called? <laughs> Halva. But it's so, not like halwa. The, it's yeah. not the, the the Jewish or the Israeli halwa that mm-hmm. we are. Oh, it's it's the Indian yeah. halwa. It's more like the pudding. It's more like yeah. pudding, uh, like a custard pudding. But uh, this is made of uh, coconut milk and, and wheat some juice. sugar. But so it'll look kind of to you, yeah, of course. Yeah, it'll <laughs> look to you like Jello, but it's not. <laughs> like it, obviously, there's no gelatin. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you look at it, it'll like it jiggle a little uh but that's just like the ingredients not because it's made of jello so it's like a custard yeah i agree with like that kind of jiggly jello feeling it's also for a sweet new year yeah yeah so and Mm -hmm. and then on erev rosh hashanah people like everybody makes this on like in the morning of erev rosh hashanah and then after the rosh hashanah services people are like giving each other halwa and then it's it's fun. It's like everybody's exchanging halwa. I remember coming home and then we used to judge everybody's halwa and <laughs> declare ours the best. Well, it, it's not fair going against your mom. <laughs> I know their, their, their mom, um, Joycey Granny, was probably the best cook in the house. Can't go against them. Hey, but but yeah. she did cook the best. No, 100%. That's what I'm saying. Like, can't even... <laughs> We used to go break fast to their, to yeah. your house to eat all the tandoori specifically. I remember. Yeah, tandoori and biryani. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So I, I brought us off a little topic, but um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I thought we were ending, and then we went back. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> was, I mean, this is this is stuff that I didn't know. This is amazing. Um, it so so Sasha, if there's anything, and I guess you, your question might be a little bit different because based on, let's say, your experiences in Hillel or um, just in the Jewish community in Oklahoma, would, th- would there be anything that you would say to people maybe experiencing the same thing as you or just for future generations who, let's say, left 
their um, country earlier in life or um, never were in that country, what would you say? Yeah, I think the biggest piece is, you know, like just how do you hold on to your um, space and your ideals, whatever that may look like, where, you know, how do you create that for yourself? I'm a big proponent and I think that's the like, hello, a professional in me still. Um, but, you know, how do you take what you had and create for your own? Because it's just, it's not sustainable, right? To live just like we did in India. It's, it's unfortunate. I wish we could, um, but right, like, Kosher food isn't as accessible, even in the Bay Area, um, where thankfully for Trader Joe's, but That's not what it was right when I lived in India, at least. And folks didn't look like me and people, you know, don't have the same traditions. Uh, even the way we sing the prayers. I was like, I don't know this prayer. And then I start hearing it and I was like, oh, wait, I do. It's just in a different tune. So, you know, how do you just like make for yourself, right? A home, literally, um, and create that for yourself i think that's how you're going to feel a little bit more at peace with the struggle of what was to what will be so i think it's just how do you hold both and um and make that for yourself i feel to me that's like the biggest thing and um for you know ashkenazi jews that maybe present as the majority in spaces like take a breath and you know just understand that there you know we come in all types and it's okay like we we just belong and we don't need to you know um entertain you to why we belong uh when we show up in these spaces like let us live <laughs> so if there's anything either of you would love to like to add um i mean this has been fantastic already but i'm open for more if there is more <laughs> i just want to say that there are jews all over the world so if mm -hmm. you see somebody who doesn't look like you just say hello and welcome instead of uh, <laughs> questioning them that very same day so yeah i mean we like sasha said we look we all look different we yeah we come in different shapes sizes but we pray to the same god and ultimately we are all jewish thank you i think that's so important to what we're trying to get through also is to say you can reclaim your identity within the greater Jewish narrative, but also with your uniqueness. And I think that's so important. So I don't want to interrupt. Sorry again, but no, no. I appreciate it. No. I really appreciate no, I mean, it. Yes, this is, this is great. And that's why I, I wanted even my sister and Sasha to talk because I, it, it is frustrating when people don't just accept you for what you are and they just like, they just keep bombarding you with questions so I'm like with this podcast at least if we educate one another person about Jews in India and Jews around the world I'll be happy or we all will be happy yeah and no yes. you're not entitled to anyone's story either like folks can volunteer it themselves if they would like sometimes they're just there to prayer and get out of there sometimes it's just part of the Jewish experience and that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then like, they can go on to our podcast true. and hear more stories. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's spaces where we are happy to do it, like here. <laughs> I'll give you a whole presentation if exactly. you want. Exactly. This really has been a unique experience to get all of you from your different experiences and your different time zones. And I'm really looking forward for this to get out there. So thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you for listening. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Drora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. 
be sure to check her out on Spotify. Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on our website, instituteofjewishexperience.org, on our Facebook page, Spotify, or Apple Music. Follow our programs on our website and the Institute of Jewish Experience channel on YouTube. And please help support these and other ASF Institute of Jewish Experience efforts by donating today. Moses, Ali,